Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 148 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a wonderful week and enjoyed the trade deadline bonanza that we had this season. Will that become the norm? Uh, I'll give my thoughts on that in a sec, but spoilers, I wouldn't necessarily count on it. Either way, we're going to start this episode like we start all others, by jumping right in to my standout seven. But because of that trade deadline taking center stage, we're going to get started with my winners and losers, a couple of takeaways and some trades that fell through that really could have shook the league up a little bit, and also what teams were left on the outside looking in that probably should have made a move, or teams that I think were right to not make a move, considering where they are this season. So it doesn't shock anyone that my big winner is going to be the Miami Dolphins. I tend to think we're at a bit of a consensus. The Miami Dolphins walked away with one of, if not the biggest prizes in all of the trade market when they acquired Bradley Chubb. However, they also added Jeff Wilson from the San Francisco 49ers, which is an interesting one. Kind of an odd man out, considering the Niners brought in Christian McCaffrey. Now you might say, Nick, is are the Niners on this list? Well... I'll give them an honorary win. Their deal obviously was made in advance. But I'll give them a winner spot as well. I think Miami's defense was pretty decent as is. Tua, if he's going to be healthy and be Tua with the weaponry around him, is enough to contend on the offensive side. I don't think they needed to make a move. You know, we saw TJ Hawkinson go. I don't think they needed to go out and get a guy like TJ Hawkinson. I think Gesicki's fine. Obviously, Tyreek Hill is an elite threat. Jalen Waddell is developing into, if not already, an elite threat at the receiver position. Um, it's really just going to come down to the health of Tua, and hopefully, for Tua's sake, in terms of the concussions, that's in the past, and they're moving forward. Are they the best team in the AFC East currently? Even with the addition of Chubb, I would tend to lean towards no, but... You can make the argument they are a top three team in the AFC as a whole. Top four. I mean, you take a look around the NFL, especially in the standings department. It's hard to argue against Buffalo at number one right now. It's also, for me, kind of hard to argue against Kansas City at number two. Once we get into the three, four, five range, it's pick your poison. I mean, Baltimore is five and three, but... So is Miami, and Miami beat Baltimore. Are you big on the Jets? Mm-hmm. Are you a believer that the Chargers are going to round into form? They're at 4-3 and three right now. Are you big on the Titans, who are 5-2? and two? Do you think Sam Ellinger is going to lead a comeback run with the Colts? Um, there's a lot of ways to go, but no matter what you think there, big winner, the Miami Dolphins. Who's my? We'll do this top three, right? I wasn't debating if we should go through team by team with some of these, but we'll go second big winner here. As I said, San Francisco landing an Offensive Player of the Year candidate in advance of the deadline. They get to go in their own category. I would say Baltimore, in my opinion, winds up in a pretty good spot here because of the acquisition of Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith, it was the day before the deadline, but you're talking about giving up a 2 and a 5 for a guy who's one of the best inside linebackers in the league. It's a pretty big one. Do I think it was the biggest need Baltimore had? No, because I've been saying for quite some time now that they need receiver help. Um, But if Jerry Judy wasn't going to go, and we'll talk about Judy a little bit later, who were they going to go out and get? That's what it comes down to. So I like it. It's a big addition. A lot of big names on that Baltimore defense, not necessarily the biggest, but, you know, guys like Marcus Williams, guys like Marcus Peters, obviously. Um, pretty darn good defense, pretty darn good team. It's hard to knock the, the uh, Baltimore Ravens, and it's hard to knock the Chicago Bears giving up on Smith when, you know, obviously they moved on from Quinn earlier. You saw the effect it had on Smith. Smith had at one point requested a trade. I don't believe he ever pulled that request, if I'm being completely honest. So... They were in a weird spot. They move on from them. It is what it is. Um, And they also go out, and I didn't really rank them here in my winners or losers, but they go out and they get Chase Claypool, which is an intriguing one to me. 
because they gave up a pretty high, I believe they gave up a two in that deal. And, I mean, look, I remember as well as anyone the, the oh, he's Mapletron, remember? The hype around Chase Claypool. I think we actually talked about Chase Claypool last week when we were talking about Pittsburgh's receiving core bouncing back from, move, or rather, moving on from Antonio Brown. But, I mean, 59 grabs last year, 860 yards. Not bad, all things considered. Rookie season was certainly better. In terms of numbers, they're pretty darn close, though. This year, only 32 catches in eight games. Not really what you want. Um, but then again, it's a Pittsburgh offense that has shifted quarterbacks. They're kind of uh, calling it, not calling it a development year, but they really should in Pittsburgh. And I know Steeler fans might not like to hear that, but you can't be great every year. Trust me, that's just the way it is in the league, unless you've, you know, got Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And even then, Brady's on the schneid right now, and Belichick's, uh, the Patriots don't look so fantastic. So, will Claypool be their number one? I know Bears fans are really high on Darnell Mooney. I don't know. Claypool's got a huge body. You want that at receiver, especially for a quarterback who's not seeming to be the most confident right now, though putting up 29 against Dallas, they looked a little better. They looked like they were moving the ball more. They were in that game for a little while. So, who knows? Maybe the acquisition of Claypool will uh, restore a little bit of confidence for Justin Fields, and maybe it'll shift their offensive focus, or signify a shift, as I was trying to say, Uh, signify a shift in the offensive focus where they're saying, you know what, let's try and let the guy develop, because we drafted him to be our franchise QB, and if we want him to be our franchise QB, he's going to need to, you know, go out there and throw the ball and make some mistakes, but also make some great plays. So, unofficial W for them. I'd say a pretty gosh darn big W for the Minnesota Vikings with a rare interdivision, intradivision, I guess you would say, trade when they bring in TJ Hawkinson on the same day that it's announced that their tight end, Irv Smith, is going to miss 8 to 10 weeks. Did the Lions know in advance? They couldn't have known. They couldn't have known because you could have made the Vikings pay through the nose for TJ Hawkinson, who's one of the better young tight ends in the NFL, and they simply did not do that. And... I can't comprehend why they do that. It came down to a draft pick swap, which is why, by the way, our number one loser, or the first loser, I should say, is going to be Detroit, because you just traded your best, arguably, receiving threat next to Amon Ross St. Brown. I, uh, you, you can call it a toss-up. St. Brown, for now, especially now, but... Hawkinson was up there on that team. I know Jared Goff is not the future quarterback, so chemistry doesn't necessarily matter that's been developed. But bringing in the next guy, whoever it may be, in next year's draft, you tend to think having St. Brown as a developing receiver who's a young talent, along with Hawkinson, along with DeAndre Swift, you could have kind of plugged in a QB if you want a Bryce Young, if you want somebody with a little bit more value later according to the projections now, with like a Hendon Hooker or something. Either way, now you're shopping at tight end again, and I I don't understand this one. For Minnesota, I get it. It's a tremendous get. It really is. For a franchise that, you know, depending on who you ask, has been looking for a reliable tight end since Kyle Rudolph kind of moved on, right? Got older and then moved on eventually. We'll see. We'll see what it turns into, but it's a great get for a team that is surprising and leading their division. Number two is the losers, by the way. I don't know if I officially said we've transitioned, but number two, obviously, we had Detroit. The Green Bay Packers just sitting on their hands. Um, I mean, I guess you could say this is a continuation of their offseason commitment to their young talent, which is the PC, uh, Brian Cashmanish way to say, I didn't feel like making a deal. None of the deals were were perfect enough for me to be interested, so I'm simply not making a deal. Okay, fair enough. Um, but your offense is not very good. You are trailing the Minnesota Vikings by, let's take a quick look at these standings. Currently, three games in the win column, four games in the loss column. Obviously, Minnesota 
having played one less. Minnesota also unbeaten at home right now. Five-game winning streak. The Packers have lost four in a row. And, oh, you know, maybe they'll get an easy one. They've got Detroit, which I guess could be the easy one. But after that, they've got the Dallas Cowboys, the Tennessee Titans on short rest, then the Philadelphia Eagles. It could be a bumpy month of November in the state of Wisconsin. Now, have I seen more impossible things turned around in the NFL? Sure. But as presently built... This Green Bay Packer team is uh, not going to instill a lot of fear with their passing game, which is a hard sentence, I guess, to say when you're considering the man playing quarterback for them is almost certainly a surefire future Hall of Famer. They have a running game that features Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, which is one of the top five, at least top ten, certainly probably top five, running back tandems in the entire NFL, and a defense which was pretty darn good last year and hasn't been awful this year, in my estimation. I just think the offense isn't holding up their end of the bargain, which makes it a little bit harder for that defense. Um, Other people to discuss here on the losers list. Um, Brandon Cooks, who seemed to certainly want out of Houston. Um, The intriguing thing to me, And I can double-check this as we move on to it. Brandon Cooks totally signed an extension with the Texans. Like, I was was sitting there just thinking. I was like, how is it possible that he went out and signed an extension with this team and is this quickly unhappy there? Now, it's, it's completely possible. Maybe they said that... They were going to take the next step. Maybe he didn't know if Deshaun Watson would stay. But I I simply don't believe that to be the case. I, I mean, dude, you re-upped with a team that was fighting for last place. I, I mean, I don't get it. What's got you so angry? I look, I look, I know why you wouldn't want to be there, but... How is that any different than the situation that was last year? And obviously then you come into the situation where Brandon Cooks didn't show up to practice on the day of the deadline, presumably because he thought he would get traded, and then he simply was not traded. I mean, this is a guy who in two years in Houston prior to this has 171 catches, over 2,000 receiving yards, and 12 touchdowns. That's pretty productive for a guy who, in his time in New Orleans, was pretty much seen as a deep threat, at least in my book, right? I mean, these aren't the best years he's had in his career. The best season he had in his career was with the Rams. But, I don't know. A little weird to me. I heard that the price, and everyone heard from some of the reports, that the price was too high that the Texans were asking, and also that teams were not really interested in the amount of money owed to Brandon Cooks right now. That's unfortunate, considering he negotiated that contract with the intent of staying with a team that clearly he didn't necessarily want to be with, but that also leads me to believe it's possible that he didn't get the offers he thought he would get as a free agent, and that's why he went back to Houston in the first place. I don't know. Kind of bizarre. I'd say he gets to be, you know, one of the quote-unquote losers because he didn't get traded, but more than anything, it's just unfortunate for all parties involved, right? If you don't want to go, if you don't want to work somewhere, it's unfortunate that you got to go work there, and you can't exactly go somewhere else in your field. It's a non-compete, obviously. Um, another one, Cam Akers. Cam Akers, I don't know what happened with the L.A. Rams. It appears that now they're going to try and work things out and sing Kumbaya, but I guess there were no takers for Akers. Um, as unintentionally and awful as that rhyme certainly was, it just happens to be true. I mean, this is not a guy... And look, Cam Akers is a fairly talented running back. But would any of you out there... Let me know. If you're a big Cam Akers fan, if you are a Cam Akers diehard back from his days at Florida State. Go in the comments, if where you're listening has a comment section, or on social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Let me know, for some reason, 
you believe that Cam Akers has been done so dirty by this Rams organization, and realistically, he can be the guy that can tote the rock 300 times in a season for them and lead them to the promised land. I mean, look, he had pretty good stats as a rookie. Buck 45 carries for 625 yards. That's pretty good. 120 receiving yards. That's a good rookie year. Last year he gets hurt, comes back for the playoff run. It is what it is. Um, I think he put it on the turf in one of those playoff games, but I might be misremembering, so I'm not going to hold him to that one. This season, you know, 50 carries for a buck 50. Nothing really overly impressive. Um, does he have an immense speed, like a Chris Johnson? Or is he just lethal out of the backfield with the, with uh, with his hands and with his route running, like a, a Christian McCaffrey or even a Darren Sproles? I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far on either account. Is, is he a bruiser to the extent of, you know... I don't know, man. I don't... Look, is he a decent running back? Yeah, but what are you going to give up for a decent running back? The way the NFL nowadays views running backs is they're very expendable. So if they're very expendable, then why would you waste any amount of collateral on acquiring a guy that they believe could be replaced with a rookie or with a journeyman? I don't know. Like I said, maybe he'll go back. I have believe that I read that they're going to try and work it out. Well, if you can't get anything for him, you're going to be paying him anyway. You might as well. Um, the other one would be Jerry Judy. And this is a weird one to throw in. I'm not certain that Jerry Judy wanted out of Denver, but his name was thrown around a whole heck of a lot. So I, I guess, you know, it's unfortunate. It's a little bit of a loss that he's got to stick there and be on a team that he doesn't want to play for. But, alrighty. Um, it is what it is. Jerry Judy's name was also kicked around with the New York Giants a fair amount. There's a connection there with Brian Dable. His name was kicked around a fair amount with the Green Bay Packers, who are shopping infinitely. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are like me looking through the frozen aisle at my grocery store. I will look around for minutes on end. Will I end up buying something? It depends. You know, I mean, I need food. I'm at the grocery store, right? The most basic need. You need food. Hmm. Eh, you know. Well, this just isn't really doing it for me. You go to the next freezer. You go to the next freezer. Mm, not really a hungry man guy. Mm, a banquet. Uh, oh, well, what's this? Oh, it takes too long. The NFL equivalent is, oh, I want Brandon Cooks. Mm, the salary's too high. Mm, I want Jerry Judy. Mm, I think the price might be too high. Uh, who can I get? Who can I get? Who can I get? And you wind up getting nobody. And you're hoping, 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 hoping that Alan Lazard steps into the limelight. That a guy like Dobbs steps into the limelight. That Robert Tunyon somehow recaptures that 10, I think he had a 10 touchdown season, right? Maybe he'll recapture that and carry your offense a little bit. But uh, I'm not certain, Packer fan, that that's going to happen. Yep, an 11 touchdown season in 2020. That's right. I I'm just not certain that that's going to be the case. So, unfortunate. Some other no little notes here. The most intriguing deal that fell through, and the Buffalo Bills wind up with Naheem Hines, which is a win. Um, but do I put him on the biggest winner link? Eh, not really. Is Naheem Hines going to be their go-to back? We'll find out. Are they finally going to run the football? Or is he just going to be a guy that comes in now and again to catch a few passes, run a couple of draws here and there? We'll see. Um, it was rumored that they were calling, they being the Buffalo Bills, on Alvin Kamara. And it was also rumored that the Philadelphia Eagles were calling on Alvin Kamara. Now, what I am describing is what many people consider to be the two best teams in the NFL vying for the services of the same player. And in other sports, in baseball in particular, this would have led to presumably a ridiculous, oh, well, you have to give up this, 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 and this, and you get the guy and, you know, you move on. But it would have led to quite the bidding war, which would have been uh, pretty memorable. Fortunately or unfortunately, 
not really the way the NFL is set up as currently, uh, you know, I mean, there's no prospects. There's no things like that. You have the players on your team and you have the draft picks and that's really it. So unfortunately for Alvin Kamara and for fans of his, he will still be wearing the Saints black and gold. Um, but I don't think Alvin's too unhappy there. You know, never seem to really uh, come across that way. And the Saints are having a weird season anyway. Michael Thomas just went down again. He's going to miss the rest of the year from what I'm hearing. Or the, supposedly that's what Dennis Allen thinks, at least at this point. I don't know what's going on down there. Um, injuries, injuries, injuries. Kind of derailing what could have been a decent season. Who knows? Could still be decent. We're only pushing towards the halfway point. But we'll see. Now that we're through the trade deadline shenanigans, let's get into our usual Standout 7 content, the bigger story. Bigger story, number three in the Standout 7. The Bengals' loss, or their Super Bowl opponent, the L.A. Rams' loss. This is an interesting one to me. So let's talk about on Halloween when the Bengals decided to dress up as the Browns, and the Browns dressed up as the Bengals. Um, Joe Burrow didn't have an awful game, 25-35, 232, two touchdowns. Joe Mixon did not much on the ground. Um, this was 11-0 at halftime, by the way. 25 to nothing at the end of the third. This game got boring. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, on the other side... I mean, Jacoby Brissett looked pretty good. He goes for 278 and a touchdown. Nick Chubb did Nick Chubb things. He played great. 23 for 101 and two touchdowns. Kareem Hunt, thinking he might be on the move. 11 carries for 42. Four catches for 30. Turns out, no, no, no. You're staying in Cleveland. Kareem Hunt would have been a good get for quite a few teams, I tend to think. Hasn't been a lead back in a little while. A little bit less mileage on the tires, but... The Browns sticking to their guns after a big win on Monday Night Football. I get it. Um, I certainly get it. Big game for Amari Cooper, too. A guy that, as I've said over the years, some games he looks like he's one of the best receivers in the league. Some games, did he play? Was he hurt? I get that vibe sometimes from some, you know, premier receivers. It's not that they're getting clamped up. It's, it's not that the play calling is any different, I tend to think. It's just... You know, the disappearing act, so to speak. Um, good game for the Browns' pass rush. You know, they wind up with, what, five sacks in this game? It's pretty much par for the course when you're playing against the Cincinnati Bengals that you're going to sack Joe Burrow at least three times. Um, the Rams, our counterpart here, punched in the mouth at home. Again, they, they gave up 21 unanswered in the second half to the 49ers, who... I. I Quite simply, you know, it, it's it's getting to a Yankees-Twins level with these weird regular season numbers. It's getting to a, you know, the Yankees are my daddy, Pedro Martinez situation. The whole thing is kind of odd. Um, 31-14 in L.A. And realistically, we got to talk about this, guys. The L.A. Rams, formerly of St. Louis, built this nice stadium. They went out, they won the Super Bowl, right, at home, and they have no home field advantage. It's not even close. You know, 49er fans seem to pretty much take over this stadium, just like Bills fans did earlier in the season. And I, look, I get it. The Rams are not what they were last year, but, I mean, come on, guys. The Rams played the Super Bowl at home, and there were a whole heck of a lot of Bengal jerseys there. This is kind of ridiculous. Is it an L.A. fan thing? Anybody listening, if you're in L.A., let me know. Do they like the Chargers more? Are, are they still diehards for the Raiders? Do they not like football? Is that the case? Because the Rams went out and won the Super Bowl. right? They did in one year what it took three decades and a pandemic season for the Dodgers to do. Right? So I don't. It can't be lack of production, so to speak. It can't be la for lack of big names. Jalen Ramsey's a big name. Aaron Donald's a big name. Cooper Cup might be the best receiver in the NFL. Matthew Stafford is a pretty good quarterback, top ten QB in the NFL. Um, 
who had the bigger loss? It's hard for me to say Cincinnati, considering they're playing without Jamar Chase in that game, considering it's on Halloween and I get to make all the goofs and gaffes I want about it. But in all seriousness, they're sitting one game out of first place. Is it really that much for you to sweat about? On the other side, though, and especially considering Pittsburgh, I would say, is in my mind, unofficially eliminated. They're not going to win that division. Cleveland's hanging on to try and get it to be interesting when Deshaun Watson comes back, which it very well might be. We'll find out. The other side of it, the Rams are sitting in third place right now by a half game because they have one less game played. They're behind San Francisco after losing to them again. They're behind the Seattle Seahawks. They're barely in front of the Cardinals. I think the bigger loss is for the Rams here because it's getting sweaty early. Next, we do a lot of, you know, I feel like we've been doing a lot of bigger losses. Let's get some positivity before we go back into losses. Um, bigger win, number four in the standout seven. The Minnesota Vikings taking down the Cardinals at home. Or the Seattle Seahawks taking down the New York Giants at home. Now, let's get started with Minnesota. And I, I tend to lean towards Minnesota here for a couple of reasons. First of all, Minnesota playing the Cardinals team with with DeAndre Hopkins back, which I may remind you was one of the best teams in the NFC early to middle of last season. Moreover, Kirk Cousins, no interceptions in this game. 24-36, 232, two touchdowns. Big contributions on the ground from Dalvin Cook, 20 carries for a buck 11, also had 30 yards receiving in this game. Alexander Madison chipped in five carries for 40 yards. Justin Jefferson did Justin Jefferson things. Six catches for 98. Thielen looked good. They're adding in TJ Hawkinson, which obviously we didn't know at the time. Um, Big interception from Harrison Smith. Three sacks from Zadarius Smith. This was a solid home performance for the Minnesota Vikings, a team which is perplexing and befuddling and finding a way to fight for a top seed in the NFC. And you know what? Good for you, Viking fan. You guys have been through it, man. You really have. Good for you guys. On the other side, just while we're here, two picks not great for Kyler Murray. The running game was pretty much non-existent for the Arizona Cardinals in this one. Kyler had six carries for 36. The rest of the team had 16 carries for 42. That's not very good. Um, Rondell Moore looked pretty good in this game. Seven carries for 92. Excuse me, seven catches for 92 and a touchdown. Zach Ertz chipped in a little. DeAndre Hopkins had a baller game, as he is inclined to do. But it, it just wasn't enough. You can make the argument, and we skimmed over the teams that shouldn't, or excuse me, should or shouldn't have made a deal. You can make the argument Arizona's right in there. They should have been vying for a guy like Jerry Judy as well. Because this receiving core has that guy. They got DeAndre Hopkins. But you need more. It's clear. It was crystal clear when he was your only receiving, you know, when he was missing and you were really scrambling as a team. You know, it also was crystal clear when he got hurt last year and you went from the best team in the NFC to losing to the Rams in the wild card round. Um Really should have made a deal, in my opinion. The James Conner injury didn't help. Obviously, he didn't go in this one. Oof, Arizona. Tough division. I can see why you stood, Pat, but just oof. Speaking of tough division, the team leading the NFC West right now, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, the, the bigger one is Minnesota, and here's why. I mentioned all the great things about the Vikings. Let's talk about the Seahawks game. The Seahawks won this game due in large part, and I'm not taking any credit away. They were the better team, to the botches of Richie James at punt returner for the New York football Giants. He put the ball on the turf twice, which led to two Seattle scores in a game, oh, by the way, which ended 27-13. The final touchdown, which put the nail in the coffin, was directly after a Richie James fumble. The earlier one, I believe, led to a field goal, so we're talking a 10-point swing here. 
Um, if I'm wrong, it was a touchdown. So either way, on the Giants end of it, and we'll get back to Seattle, but you know I got to touch it. On the Giants end of it, I mean, I really just would have loved to have seen more from their passing game. But uh, at this point, that's not who they are. You know, Galladay on the sideline, are they really missing him? They, it, it's ironic to me because all I hear about is how Kenny Galladay's overpaid, 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 no production, no this, no that. He's injured, and then it's, oh, well, they don't have Kenny Galladay. Well, the guy's not producing. So what's the difference? Like, if he was out there, you'd be yelling that he had two catches on three targets for 12 yards. So now that he's not out there, well, he was drawing coverage. You know what? No, he wasn't. No, he no team was game planning for the New York Giants saying this is the week Kenny Galladay is going to burst out. It's just not going to happen. I mean, Barkley looked all right. Some of the play calling was uh, not the most creative, which is weird because for the Giants it seemed to have been relatively creative throughout this season. Now they're going to have a bye, get a little healthier, draw some things up during this week, but. An underwhelming performance from a team that has been kind of shocking the world this season. On Seattle's side, Geno kept it up, man. Playing pretty well. Kenny Walker, they seem to have, they seem to have found themselves a good back in Kenny Walker the third. And, uh, you know, DK Metcalf is still an elite threat. Tyler Lockett still gets the job done at receiver as well. Nothing much more to be said. Pretty good defensive showing, too. Like I said, I mean, 20 carries for 53 on the ground for Barkley. That's that's putting him in a can. So, kudos to them. And then, since we can't get away from this without touching on it, because it's funny, we talked both New York teams and how they were rolling and yada, yada, yada. Number five in the standout seven. Bigger story, the Jets' loss or the Giants' loss. We just talked Giants, so let's talk New York football. Jets, they were playing home in New Jersey, too. The New England Patriots. And on this very show, last week, I told you, you know, this feels like a game that the Jets would lose. But I'm going to go blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. No, 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 no. And look, New England tried. In my opinion, New England really tried in that first half to give the Jets this game. They did. You know, I mean, fourth down and one in field goal range. Mac Jones trying to redirect his receiver outside the pocket, and he just lofts it just over his head. And what happens? Zach Wilson happens. Zach Wilson, boom, interception. Oh, oh, Mac Jones gets it back. Oh, and then he throws a pick six. Oh, no. Oh, no. Roughing the passer negates the pick six. And then, instead of it being... 17-3 at half, and New England would have kneeled it out to half. New England would have been in that locker room, divided over who they were going to bring out at QB in the third quarter. We might have seen the zapper once again. But no, it was 10-6, then fresh out of halftime, aggressive fourth and short call again by Bill Belichick and that New England offense. They get it. They go up 13-10. The Jets start to melt down. It's 19-10. Wilson throws another pick, trying to throw it away, I guess, to the sideline. But for some reason, he couldn't get to the sideline. I don't know. The whole thing was weird. And then he gets it back later. They're losing by more. And he just lollipops one to the other football team. And this is something I brought up, right? And I will touch on both New York teams for this one. Last week, or maybe the week before, let me let me take a look back at the uh, little little episode recaps here. Two weeks ago, episode one forty six, we talked about the Jets and Giants' chances of contending, and I talked about how I hadn't really seen anything from Zach Wilson that made me think he's taken that next step. They weren't asking him to do that much. And he hadn't done it. You know, that's fine. Well, he hadn't had the opportunity. Well, you know, he could be this, he could be that, but he just hasn't gotten the shot yet. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, fair enough. Well, now, in a game where it seemed they wanted him to go off, he threw the ball 41 times. He completed under 50% of his passes, unless you include the ones that went to the other team. 
the team ran for 51 yards as a team. Um, that mobility that had been discussed, oh, look at Zach, and he breaks a run now and again. He ran for two yards. Um, Garrett Wilson had a great game, six catches for a buck 15. Conklin had a good game, six catches for 80 and two touchdowns. Good, good for them. Denzel Mims even made a play, right? Remember Denzel Mims? Remember that guy that you guys drafted and you don't feel like playing him for some reason? Oh, whatever. Anyway, so they bring in James Robinson, and he wasn't the lead back for this game. Still learning the playbook, I assume. Five catch, excuse me, five carries for 17 yards. Michael Carter, no, not the other Michael Carter. Michael Carter, the running back, seven carries for 26 yards. It's just not enough. And we saw it with the Giants against Seattle as well. It was worse for the Jets because their lead back was hurt. Saquon Barkley was out there, and the Giants were in it because their defense was doing their best. And kudos to the Jets' defense. They were doing their best, too. They really were. I mean, you give up 22, it's not the end of the world when your QB throws three interceptions and you have a pick six called back because of a roughing the passer call. Could have been a different game, but it wasn't. You saw it with the Giants as well in that in that game. Now and again, you'd see Daniel Jones make a decent throw here and there. And, you know, oh, well, he doesn't have Galladay. Who cares? Oh, well, he doesn't have Shepard. Fair enough. Oh, well, he doesn't have uh, Tony. Oh, they traded him. Oh, well, Robinson's not doing anything. Yeah, well, whose fault is that? He's not really getting worked into the offense here, guys. I mean, it seems... I say this all the time. It seems to me the best chemistry that Daniel Jones has is with Darius Slayton, the guy who they keep trying to get rid of, which I just simply cannot understand. Um, I don't know. E- either way, um, it, it, the bigger loss, I, I guess it's, I guess it's the Jets because they were trying to, you know, get rid of some demons and they wound up getting taken down by the ghost of the New England dynasty. And, it, it, of course, the Jets were going to lose that game. We talked about it. I said it last week. I put a star in my notes. If you were here, you know. If you're not, feel free to go back and listen. Though, paging through the episode, I understand why you might not want to. Either way, we talked about what's... it's. There's a saying. I don't know if you guys have it in other states. You know, states that have two teams or vice versa. We say this in New York. Um, that's so Mets, Right? That's so Jets. That's so Knicks. Right? I'm sure it's a it's a national thing. But it, of course, of course, why would the New York Jets find a way to beat their hated rival at home? Why would they do it? It just wouldn't make sense. That wouldn't be very Jets-like of them to find a way to pull it off. Go figure. So, uh, taking a look around, I think realistically that'll bring us to the end of the Standout 7. We can go through some injury news and notes here. I know we're a little light on Standout 7 this week. I mean, we could talk about Carolina and Atlanta and the bonehead shenanigans and how, of course, that game went to overtime because, of course, he got a penalty for taking his helmet off. And then you have, I believe it was Terry McCauley saying, oh, you shouldn't have called that. No, letter of the law, that was a flag, my friend. And usually, in my experience, the NFL is a big fan of when their referees make calls by the letter. And I mean the letter of the law. Oh, you hit Tom Brady just a millimeter below, you know, just a millimeter below where the sock starts on his knee. That's a flag. Well, if you would have hit him in the quad, he would have been fine. Okay. Fair enough. Well, you see, you know, mm, hold on. I know you didn't grab hold of the face mask, but your finger got stuck in the face mask as you brushed across it. That's going to be a flag as well. Okay, well, letter of the law said DJ Moore made a bonehead move. And then, of course, Pinheiro misses the extra point from a mile away. And then, of course, he misses the chip shot game winner in OT. And then the Atlanta Falcons wind up leading the NFC South. Mind you, this is a team I've been talking about for a few weeks now. I can't put my finger on what it is, but I like the Atlanta Falcons. Something about it. They play hard or whatever cliche you want to use. I like that team. They just find a way to do the damn thing. So, uh, neither here nor there. 
But let's throw that in there because we were a little light. Then you also had Scary Terry making the huge clutch play against the Colts. Man, we should have put that in. You know what? We're, we're, we're diving back in. I'm taking it back. Number six, bigger story, bigger win. Atlanta Falcons or Washington Commanders. Falcons to take the lead in their division. Commanders on the road from the brink of death to stay alive in the wild card hunt. Granted, three and five wouldn't have been the worst, but in a division with two six and two teams and an eight no team, it would have been a really bad spot to be in. I mean, my goodness, Terry McLaurin is such a monster, dude. I mean, I'm hoping he's not going to wind up being one of those players who's just kind of stuck on a team forever, if you know what I mean, where it's like Andre Johnson was a Texan forever, and you just think, what could Andre Johnson have done if he was on an NFL team that actually went to playoff games or something like that? I really, truly hope that that does not happen to uh, to Terry McLaurin, but my goodness, what a play, and Taylor Heineke's got these guys rolling, so who knows? Who knows if when Carson Wentz comes back, it's going to be his team. We'll find out. And I think this week's game, no spoilers for the pick'em portion as usual, I think this week's game against the Minnesota Vikings is going to play a big role in it. A big, big role. So bigger win. You know what? I can't even choose. Because I want to take the Commanders because it was more dramatic, so to speak. And realistically, the Falcons kind of found a way to lose that game, if we're being honest. But... They didn't lose. So it doesn't matter what I have to say. You know, at the end of the day, they didn't lose the game. And that's all that matters. So I'm giving it to both of them. Positivity to end the standout seven. Big positivity. And usually we talk about all the primetime games. I mean, what is there to talk about with Green Bay and Buffalo? Nothing. Green Bay lost. They were supposed to lose. Josh Allen threw a couple picks so they can cover the spread. Yeah, I mean, or, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, Philly and Houston was not the most entertaining Philly and Houston game that night. Um, let's be honest. It was on the same time as the World Series. That's Stuff like that is what makes people think sports are rigged, by the way. It just so happens that the Eagles are playing the Texans, which never happens. And it happens on the same night that the Houston Astros are playing the Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series. A matchup with no one would have predicted. It's, uh, you know, it, it's... An all-time coincidence. I don't think it's some shenanigans rigging, but my goodness, is it a hell of a coincidence. Injury report stuff to wrap up before we get into the pick'em portion. No IR for Jamar Chase, reportedly. Cooper Cup was hurt, but then cleared to go this week. Um, Bill Belichick improved to second all-time in head coaching wins. Not necessarily a stat. A lot of people really give too much credence to or really care too, too much about. I mean, it's not a pitcher win in baseball, but it's, you know, not the most exciting stat if we're being completely honest. So uh, congratulations to Bill and congratulations to the Jets for letting that happen on their field. Um, Rashad Bateman of the Baltimore Ravens. The initial reporting was he's out a few weeks, which made me think, oh, maybe they'll trade for a wideout. And then it came out that he's out for the year. And then that made me think, hmm, Good call not trading for that wideout. <laughs> like, come on now. Lamar Jackson can't catch a break. Um, Mark Ingram out three to four weeks for the New Orleans Saints. We talked about Irv Smith. Reportedly, the Washington footballers, the commanders as they're called nowadays, may be getting sold. This news broke within 24 hours, maybe 12 hours, of a possible investigation into the team, which would probably make sense that that's why they're investigating the idea of a sale. Um, Best fits for Odell Beckham. Just something I jotted down. I mean, you have to think Green Bay. You have to think Baltimore. You have to think L.A. because he's been there. Um, If any way possible, maybe Cleveland reunion. I doubt that happens. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's got to be the team. People talk about the Giants. Would he be a you know? Would he be the best receiver in the room right now? Yeah, no doubt. However, with Daniel Jones at QB, would that be 
enough to make the New York Giants this great passing team? No, they're just not. So if that's the case, do you go out of your way to make that happen? Not necessarily, though I can see why they'd want to try. Um, You know, a couple of teams around the league... You take a look at the teams in contention. Would the Jets make a move for that? I don't think so. Um, I mean, if the Rams are interested, could the Chargers make a move? I don't think so. Um, I doubt Denver is going to be... And here's the interesting thing. I meant to talk about this before. So Denver's sending mixed signals to their fan base. Because they, they keep Jerry Judy. Because they don't want to handicap their already weakened offense. But then, they trade Bradley Chubb who I think a lot of people would argue is maybe their best defensive player as a whole. So what is the purpose of keeping your weakness strong, I guess, and weakening your strength? That sentence hurts to say, but you understand completely what my point is. As bizarre as it sounds, you understand completely. I, it doesn't make Anyway, uh, other fits for Odell. Could we see a Cincinnati, maybe? With Jamar Chase being hurt, could that be a situation that would intrigue him? I don't know. Um, Tennessee, not really a passing team, so I wouldn't necessarily go there. Um, Philly's sacked at receiver. Dallas is pretty good at receiver as well. Um, Seattle's set. San Francisco's pretty set as well. Arizona. Could they make some room? Would they be intrigued? Tend to think it's hard to not be intrigued by the availability of Odell Beckham, who's kind of a generational talent. Um, Atlanta? Would Atlanta, you know, speed up their their clock? I doubt it. But realistically, it's a situation where you're looking at Green Bay, you're looking at the Rams um, for a reunion, potentially. You're looking at, I think, Baltimore. I tend to, you know, I kicked around the Cincinnati one. That could get spicy. I mean, they've got a stacked receiving core as well with Higgins, Boyd, and Chase. But if Beckham is willing to go there for just a little bit of time, you know what I mean? One-year deal, see what you can do sort of thing. He can get some touches, and he can make a difference. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven, and that'll take him into the pick'em portion of this week's episode. Let's talk about the picks recently. Because, you know, we're pushing into week nine here. And I'm just not having a great year, guys. I'm truly not. I mean, we've only been under 500 one time. But we've been at 500 twice. We were one game over 500 in week one when they had the tie. You know, one game over 500 last week, just two games over the week before. You know, I think I'm due for either an awful week where I go 5-11 and 11, or a tremendous week where we go like 12-4. and four. So I don't know if I would take these picks and run to FanDuel or DraftKings or whatever your favorite betting app is, but I guess you could consider it because we're, you know, if you believe in due, we're due. The first game we're going to get started with is a Brady-Manning rematch, and by that I mean Sam Ellinger is heading to Foxborough to take on Mac Jones. Yes, doesn't exactly have that same ring to it. Colts, obviously, going to be without Matt Ryan. Jonathan Taylor going to miss this game with an ankle injury, as well as linebacker Grant Stewart and corner Tony Brown. Questionable lineman Dennis Kelly and linebacker EJ Speed. Patriots going to be without 2-0 lineman David Andrews with a concussion and Marcus Cannon also in the concussion protocol. Also going to be without wide receiver Devontae Parker with a knee injury. Questionable two running backs, Damian Harris with an illness and Pierre Strong Jr. with a hammy. Then onto the defensive side of the ball, two on the D-line, Dietrich Wise Jr. with an ankle, Christian Barmore with a knee, Josh Uche at linebacker with a hammy, and two in the defensive backfield, Jack Jones with an illness and Kyle Duggar with an ankle injury. Well, this one is kind of interesting. If Taylor was going, I'd probably lean Colts, but with no starting QB, no starting running back... That's a tough ask for Indy. Give me the Patriots to win this one at home. Next, an NFC North showdown from Detroit when the Green Bay Packers head there to take on the now TJ Hawkinson-less 1-6 Lions. Packers going to be without Devondre Campbell at linebacker with a knee injury, as well as Shamar Jean-Charles at corner with an ankle. 
Questionable wide receiver Alan Lazard with a shoulder. Wide receiver Christian Watson with a concussion. Two offensive linemen, big names. Elton Jenkins with a knee and a foot, as well as David Bakhtiari with a knee. And linebacker Preston Smith with a shoulder-slash-neck injury. Lions can be without offensive lineman Matt Nelson, as well as three in the secondary, Chase Lucas, A.J. Parker, and Ifeitu Melifanwu, with an ankle, hip, and ankle, respectively. Doubtful, wide receiver Josh Reynolds with a back injury. Questionable, running back DeAndre Swift with an ankle-slash-shoulder. Tight end Brock Wright with a concussion. Offensive lineman Taylor Decker with a groin. And D-lineman Charles Harris with a groin. Now... If I was looking at this last week or two weeks ago, I might have said, hmm, I'd be tempted to take Detroit in that one. But, hear me out. Green Bay did not make a move for a receiver. However, they're playing a team that is missing three players in their secondary. If you cannot pass against a team that is one in six, one of the worst defenses, if not the worst, in the entire NFL, then you really wasted your time getting Aaron Rodgers to come back. Give me the Packers to win this one on the road before things get iffy at Lambeau. Next, the Chargers head to Atlanta to take on the Falcons in what could be a, could be a sneaky good game. Chargers going to be without Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, as well as Donald Parham on the offensive side. On the defensive side, D-lineman Jerry Tillery and off, outside linebacker excuse me, Chris Rumpf going to miss this one, as well as their kicker. Questionable, wide receiver DeAndre Carter with an illness, and linebacker Amen Ogbong-Bemiga. Wow. I apologize if I botched your name. It happens to me all the time. That's a heck of a name, my friend. Uh, the Falcons, going to be without offensive lineman Elijah Wilkinson with a knee injury, and corner A.J. Terrell with a hammy. Questionable, safety Eric Harris with an ankle injury. When I sat down to pick this game, I had an asterisk written on my score sheet. And for those of you who don't know, and that would be all of you because I've never really mentioned it, that's the little marker I put down when I go, hmm, I'm probably going to get this one wrong, but it could be spicy. Or, hmm, this could be a toss-up. I'm going to take the Falcons. The Falcons went out there, and they won last week. And they might have got a little bit of gift-wrapped help, but finding a way to lose is a talent, and they almost had it, but you know what? They didn't. No Keenan Allen, no Mike Williams, no Donald Parham. It's got to be a lot of Eckler, and hopefully they're game planning for it, because otherwise he's going to score three or four touchdowns, and there's going to be some fa happy fantasy owners. I'm taking the Falcons to pull off the mild upset at home. Next, an AFC East matchup as the Bills head to New Jersey to take on the Jets. 6-1 versus 5-3. Could be spicy. Jets going to be without wide receiver Corey Davis. Bills without safety Jordan Poyer. Questionable. Offensive lineman Spencer Brown and linebacker Matt Milano. I'm taking Buffalo. We don't need to waste time on this. You know, if the Jets would have beat New England, maybe I would have given you, entertained it, right? But no. I mean, realistically, the Jets should not beat Buffalo. I do not think they will beat Buffalo. Let's move on to the next game. The Kirk Cousins Bowl. The Minnesota Vikings head to D.C. to take on the Commanders. Vikings going to be without defensive lineman Dalvin Tomlinson with a calf injury. Questionable wide receiver Jalen Naylor with an illness and corner Cameron Dantzler with a neck. Commanders going to be without running back J.D. McKissick with a neck injury as well. Wide receiver Jahan Dotson with a hammy. And two linebackers Cole Holcomb and David Mayo with a foot and hamstring injury respectively. Questionable. D.N. Shakatoni with a calf. I'm taking Minnesota. This is the Kirk Cousins Bowl, and who should win the Kirk Cousins Bowl but Kirk Cousins? Um, I will say this, and this is, you know, a little rude after I tooted their horn a little. The Vikings still scare me when I pick them. So, it, you know, it's it's Terry McLaurin versus... Terry McLaurin versus the Vikings. It worked against the Colts. I mean... No. In all seriousness, the Vikings should win this one fairly easily. Give me the Vikings to win this one on the road. Next, in a battle of the big cats, the Carolina Panthers head to Cincy to take on the Bengals. Panthers going to be without their new lead running back, Chuba Hubbard, with an ankle injury. Wide receiver Richard Higgins with an illness and safety, Justin Burris, with a concussion. Doubtful, tight end Steven Sullivan with an illness. Questionable, corner Dante Jackson with an ankle and DN Amare Barno with a knee. 
Bengals without Jamar Chase, as we discussed before, without two corners, Mike Hilton and Chidobe Awuzie, and without D-lineman Josh Tupu. Questionable, Lyle Collins on the O-line, and corner Trey Flowers with a hammy. I'm going to take the Bengals in this one. I'm I'm tentative because the Bengals did not look great against the Browns, but this Panthers team, I mean, I don't think they have someone comparable to Nick Chubb on the roster. Um, then again, maybe DJ Moore remembers to keep his helmet on this time and they find a way, but I'm taking Cincy to bounce back at home. Next, the Raiders head to Jacksonville to take on the Trevor Lawrence-led Jaguars. I bet you didn't think this one would be 2-5 and five versus 2-6 and six at the beginning of the year. Uh, maybe 4-3 and three versus 2-6, and six, but here we are. Questionable for the Raiders, tight end Darren Waller with a hammy, D-lineman Neil Farrell Jr. with a knee, and linebacker Divine Diablo, one of the best names in the league, with a backslash wrist injury. Jaguars listing just one questionable wide receiver, Jamal Agnew with a knee. I don't know what happened to the Raiders last week. We, we don't got to talk about it. I thought about putting it in here. You, you get, they got blanked by, by the New Orleans Saints. I have no idea. I have no idea. We talked about it in the offseason, I believe. Do you commit to Derek Carr or do you move on and blow it up? And committing to Derek Carr got them Devontae Adams, so I guess it was the right move. But then they brought in Josh McDaniels, and somehow they went from Rich Bisaccia leading them to the playoffs to Josh McDaniels, the heir to the Belichickian throne. The, you know, the, the branch that everyone was looking at for the next dynasty of the Belich... No, not at all. They're 2-5. and five, And they haven't been great. And I don't think you can really blame too, too much on the injuries. I mean, look, I said before they were the best 1-4 team I'd ever seen. But that doesn't get you into the playoffs. I mean, my opinion and 275 will get you on the train. And sometimes it won't. <laughs> like... Give me the Raiders to win on the road, but I, anytime I'm picking this team, I am shaky. You know, this is a big reason my records haven't been so great this year. Take a look back. I've picked the Raiders to win like three times, four times. Man, I, I got to learn my lesson. Next, the Miami Dolphins in our final 1 o'clock game head to Chicago to take on the Bears. The Bears going to be without, excuse me, going to list just one Questionable offensive lineman Jatire Carter with an illness. Dolphins going to be without River Craycraft. Doubtful offensive lineman Austin Jackson with an ankle-slash-calf injury. Questionable tight end Tanner Connor with a knee. Offensive lineman Teron Armstead with a toe-slash-Achilles. Linebacker Jalen Phillips with a quad. And safety Eric Rowe with a hip. I'm taking Miami. Miami's a better team, hands down. If the Bears gave up 50 to Dallas without Zeke... This could be somewhere in the 35 to 45 range, realistically. I don't know. Either way, I'm taking Miami on the road. Next, our lone 405 kick. NFC West showdown, Battle of the Birds, my favorite kind of battle. The Seattle Seahawks head to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. Seahawks going to be without wide receiver Marquise Goodwin with a groin injury, as well as Daryl Taylor, an outside linebacker with a groin. Questionable, wide receiver Penny Hart with a hammy, and safety Joey Blunt with a quad. For the Cardinals, they're going to be without two offensive linemen, Max Garcia with a shoulder injury and Rock Hudson with a knee, as well as corner Christian Matthew with a hammy. Questionable, James Conner, who missed last week's action with a rib injury. Another offensive lineman in DJ Humphreys with a back, linebacker Dennis Gardeck with an ankle, D-lineman Jonathan Ledbetter with a rib injury, and safety Buda Baker with an ankle. You know I'm a Cardinal... I was on the Cardinal bandwagon last year. I was leading the bandwagon preseason. I had them go into the Super Bowl. So this, to me, it, it's a hard game because I really, really want to pick them to upset Seattle here and find a way to muddy the waters even more in this division. However, I care about my record, you know? And I'm going to pick the favorite. But man, does this feel like a game that I'm going to find a way to get wrong. Either I pick the Cardinals for the upset and they get blown out at home. Or I pick Seattle and I hate myself if they pull it off. I'm taking the chalk. Give me Seattle. They're more talented. Geno Smith is doing his thing. But if DeAndre Hopkins walks away with three touchdowns in this game, I'm going to feel like a little bit of a dope. 
Next, our only 425 kick is a playoff rematch. The stumbling Rams head to Tampa Bay to take on the stumbling Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Rams going to be without linebacker Jacob Hummel with a hip injury. Um, questionable wide receiver Van Jefferson with a knee and center Brian Allen with a knee as well. Buccaneers going to be without Russell Gage Jr. at wide receiver. Tight end Cameron Brait. Offensive lineman Luke Gadecki and safety Antoine Winfield Jr. Questionable, D-tackle Akeem Hicks, corner Carlton Davis, and corner Sean Murphy Bunting. The injuries in the secondary for Tampa Bay make it kind of tempting, um, but this Rams offense just hasn't really impressed me. For pretty much the duration of the season, they haven't impressed me. I mean, you take a, a look back through their games, right? And obviously, we discussed ad nauseum when they had the week one loss and they got blown out. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, it is what it is. They put up 31 on Atlanta, but they barely win. They score 20 against the Cardinals. They're held to single digits against the Niners. They score 10 the following week against Dallas. They score 24 against Carolina. Okay. And then they're at 14 against the Niners. Now, I see this going one of two ways. One of these teams, theoretically will use this game to slingshot a playoff run. When you are picking between two teams to go on a playoff run, and one of them is led by Tom Brady, sadly, you know which one I am obligated to pick. Give me the Buccaneers to win this one at home. Next, our Sunday night football matchup is a doozy. Two division leaders when the ten excuse me. Two division leaders meet when the Tennessee Titans head to Kansas City to take on Patrick Mahomes. Huge question mark here is Ryan Tannehill. Titans gonna be without fullback Tory Carter and safety Imani Hooker. Questionable the aforementioned Tannehill with an ankle injury. Did the Titans look great last week? No. Did the Titans look awful last week? Eh. I mean, 17-10, they got the job done. Malik Willis threw for 55 yards, but Derrick Henry ran for 220. Didn't really need to do much there. Didn't need to do much. Um, This is a game where much will need to be done, I tend to think. I would be genuinely surprised if this game ended 17-10 and Derrick Henry had 200 yards. The Chiefs listing just won, by the way. Jody Fortson at tight end going to miss this game with a quad-slash-illness. Um, I'm going to take Kansas City. I said it before, I think right now Kansas City is the second best team in the AFC. Um, I think they're a top five team in the league, arguably the third best team in the NFL. Second, if you want to go on pedigree and all that shenanigans, but I'd probably say third. Um, give me Kansas City to win this one at home. Next, the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. da 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 head to New Orleans to take on the Saints. Um, I don't really see any situation where the Saints find a way to win this game, barring injury, realistically. I mean, like, it it would take Lamar Jackson getting hurt and missing the game. Because, realistically, without Michael Thomas, potentially without or without a fully capable Jameis Winston at QB, without... Mark Ingram, not that Mark Ingram is the lead back that he once was, but he's a role player. I just don't see it. It, It's going to take a heck of a performance by the defense of the New Orleans Saints. They're really going to have to lock down Lamar and rattle this offense to get it done, and I just don't see it happening. Give me Baltimore to win this one on the road. Next, we know we got to end it with the Thursday night football pick. Thursday night football of week 10. The Atlanta Falcons take on, that's right, the Carolina Panthers in a rematch of what was probably the weirdest game of the year. This one in Carolina, of course. I'm taking Atlanta. I'm taking Atlanta to have a huge week. I'm taking them to take the momentum from that first game, beat the Chargers, a team that I personally thought was a legit playoff contender. Still maybe, to be completely honest and then to go turn around on short rest in Carolina against a team that is almost certainly looking for revenge and stomp them out one more time. 
Give me the Dirty Birds to go on a win streak by winning in Carolina. That'll bring us to the end of this week's Pick'em portion, and that'll bring us to the end of the episode, episode number 148 of the Necessary Roughness podcast. Thank you for joining us, folks. Hope you enjoy another tremendous week of NFL football. We're pushing into November. I think we're going to do mid-season awards next week. So keep an eye out. Let me know who you guys think is your mid-season MVP, comeback player of the year, offensive player of the year, defensive, all that. Let me know. As usual, comment section, social media, you know the rules. Either way, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Till next time, signing off.